Storm Bowling Products, the Bowler's Company presents the Storm Collegiate Spotlight with Steve Klimkin and Tim Berg. Storm's Executive Director of Marketing and Above180.com's Tim Berg are going to introduce a variety of collegiate players, coaches, and key people involved in promoting the sport of bowling. Now, here's Coach K and Tim Berg. Joining us on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight podcast is Matt Gasson. Matt bowled collegiately at Robert Morris University, where he helped his team win an intercollegiate team championship title and three consecutive NAIA championships. Matt, it's Tim Berg and Coach K. Steve Klemkin here. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure. All right, Matt. Well, thanks for joining us. And, and you know, it's kind of an exciting time right now in the world of collegiate bowling. As, uh, as we're recording this podcast, they're actually competing right now in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, the Intercollegiate Singles and Team Championships. You won an Intercollegiate Team Championship before as a member of Robert Morris University. And I'd like to kind of get your take on lane conditions there a little bit. And what we're kind of seeing so far, at least early on, and I think this is something that we've been seeing for a little while when you're looking at these national championship types of events, you know, and this kind of applies for it could be junior gold, could be the open championships, but, you know, the intercollegiate team championships, looks like the lane conditions are pretty demanding. I mean, a lot of oil out to the right uh, and to the left, and then uh, pretty flat inside. And uh, with the Baker game and moving lanes and stuff like that, uh, the scores are pretty low. You know, a 190-2-0 game is a, is a pretty solid score right now. So what kind of, as a competitive bowler yourself, what kind of advice do you have or what do you look to do when you're trying to uh, compete on a really uh, challenging, tough uh, condition like that when the lanes don't give you much misroom? Yeah, I mean, especially in collegiate bowling when – in a format like what they're bowling right now, where it's all bakers, um, any anything can happen. And like you said, 190-20 games are, are winning games in, in these uh, five and seven game matches that they're bowling. Um, you know, it really just comes down to parachuting and keeping the ball in play. So um, ultimately, you get ten, I think, ten minutes to maybe fifteen minutes of practice to break down your pair, um, and you got to do a really good job of doing that so that you can basically set yourself up. Uh, to, to give yourself optimal ball motion to get to the pocket. So it, typically smoother balls and to, to start, and then uh, just try and keep it in play and make your spares, and hopefully you can grind out some two O's and win some games. Matt, with that collegiate success that you guys had, you guys had, uh, when you look back, a, a really solid roster with Marshall Kent, Kyle King, yourself, just to name a few. Did you guys, at the time, did you guys, um, I guess, did you know you were as good as what you were and where you, where you guys uh, were when it came to these collegiate tournaments? Or, or what was your guys' thought as you were bowling them and going through your co- collegiate career? I mean, uh, I don't want to sound cocky, but, um, I mean, we all knew we were good. Um, we actually got, I don't want to say in trouble, um, but... We, we had a chant that we, that we were doing at the beginning of the season that we were asked to stop doing. Um, and if you ever go and watch, I think it's the University of Utah. I can't remember if it was Utah or Las Vegas. I can't remember which, which school it is, but they have a chant that's like, I believe that we will win, I believe that we will win. And we would get together as the boys and the girls team would get together, or the men and the women team would get together and do that chant before we started bowling. And a couple of coaches started complaining. And uh, we had to stop doing that halfway through the season. At, at nationals, I mean, we, you know, we had, we were so deep with, with talent and, uh, you know, we knew any one of us could come off, you know, come out of the lineup and someone else would be able to take our place and, and start striking. So it definitely, um, kept things a lot looser and made things a lot easier on everybody. 
Now, one of the things that we've seen across a variety of teams, there's lots of teams that have had, you know, talented uh, individual players, but it's not always super easy, um, especially if, if you guys, say, for example, Marshall Kent came into the team as a highly successful individual player, as a youth player. Did you guys ever have any uh, times or difficulties or challenges that you faced where you had a hard time kind of meshing uh, together as a team, or did it just happen so naturally that's, that's uh, why you guys ended up being as successful as you were? Um, I think that first year we were just so good that, that it didn't really matter. We were just, there were just so many good bowlers on one team. And we were just able to kind of, no matter, you know, if we were meshing or not, we just kind of figured out how to win. And then the next two years that I was there, I felt like we weren't, we were still pretty deep with talent. I, I thought we were the best team in college bowling all three years, but the next two years we really didn't bowl very well at, at, uh, at nationals down the stretch. And really a lot of that just came with, I think, team chemistry and, and trusting each other. And, um, you know, at, at the end, of it, it's noted, you know, if it was team game bowling where we were bowling total pins, I think that we probably could have won all three years. But like I said, in, in Baker, anything can happen. If you're, you know, if you don't have the right guys, not only in the lineup, but in the right spots in the lineup, stringing strikes together in the right spots, um, you know, you can lose pretty quick. So uh, it's just, it's a totally different, Baker's just a totally different uh uh, strategy. And Matt, when it comes to choosing the right college for the right college bowlers out there for that high school bowler, choosing that college, what advice do you have for them as far as making sure they pick the college that is the best fit for them? And, and depending on obviously depending on their aspirations and, and where, where they want to go after college. For sure. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, if, if it real honestly, if it wasn't for college bowling, I, I was never a school person. So I really don't know what I would have done college-wise, um, I would say uh, education first. You know, no matter how good of a bowler you are, God forbid, you know, something could happen tomorrow that, you know, you might not be able to throw a ball again. And you got to have something that you can fall back on. So, you know, obviously you want to go if you, you want to go to a school that's going to be, you know, a good competitive program and have coaches that can develop your game. But you also want to go to a school that you're going to have a good education and, and you know, an opportunity outside of, you know, throwing a ball down the lane if, if that should ever happen. So, um, you know, and then, of course, it comes down to money, too. You know, some some are maybe not as fortunate as others financially, and, and you know, it could come down to how much money they're getting and how much assistance they're getting from the school. So um, it's just, just a couple of different factors you got to factor in, but, you know, definitely keep education an, an important part of it. Yeah, education is definitely an important part of it. I mean, that's one of the things that, that we've seen and we've, we've noticed and we've heard, you know, all, all across the board is that, you know, while everybody would, you know, surely love to be able to, you know, be, say be an athlete and maybe, you know, perform and compete professionally and have a you know, successful career out there on the lanes as a, as a professional bowler that, you know, there's, you still got to prepare kind of for plan B if that doesn't happen. You know, I mean, there's been lots of, uh, we've seen that we've seen that. Yeah. We've definitely seen it happen and it's good to have other options as well too and that's where uh, that, yeah that's where that, that plays such a big part uh, so how long or, or have you been uh, keeping in touch and kind of following uh, either your collegiate teammates kind of over the years or even do you still have a little bit of pride when you uh, when you do watch collegiate bowling now do you, do you still follow your team and see how they're doing oh yeah oh yeah we still um, we actually have a group uh, a Robert Morris bowling group uh, in Facebook Messenger that we all have a bunch of us in uh, we still, to this day, pretty much talk every day. So 
uh, we're, we're up to date with everything that's going on uh, with each other and with the team currently. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's good stuff. You know, we have uh, good camaraderie and, you know, we still bowl, some of us still bowl in, in groups with each other at nationals. And, um, you know, I'm actually going to end up being close to that area again. I know probably Steve's going to probably touch on it here in a little bit, but with my new position in storm, moving back to, to the Chicago area, where Robert Morris is, is uh, located at, I'm going to be closer to a lot of my collegiate friends. So I'm going to get to definitely see them a lot more. Yeah. And, and, you know, before we do, and I do want to talk about that. I'm glad you brought that up, but before we get to that, and you did kind of hit on it just a little bit with the open championships. Um, tell us a little bit as far as uh, your, your plans on bowling, who you bowl with your team. And uh, you know, the, one of the things we've been seeing here very early on in the tournament uh, is we've seen maybe a little bit higher scoring pace than what we typically see there. Have you been keeping an eye on what's going out there and, and when do you bowl and who's on your team and, and what's your guys' strategy? Uh, yeah, so the team that I originally bowled with, it was uh, myself, David O'Sullivan, PJ Haggerty, Sean Nauman, and Sean Riccardi. And we had to split that team up when the rule came out about not having uh, more than two pros on the team. Um, and that included like Team USA members. So um, they were all bowling together before I jumped on the team. And so I felt like it was kind of the right thing to do to kind of let them keep their team together and they would find a fifth and I would kind of start my own team and we would go out and uh, my team would become the companion team. <clears throat> um, so now I bowl with, uh, it's myself, Kenny Ryan, uh, Jason Pavlinko, and then uh, Joel Reynoso and Brandon Allred. Um, wow, and the first what year a great team. Yeah, yeah. The first year that we bowled together, uh, actually, the obviously this past year was canceled, but the year before that, uh, they came in second. They so they were uh, hit away from taking the lead. Um, mm. So they had a really good year. The first year together with like that. So we like our group. Um, and then as far as this year goes, it's going to be different. Um, only having one team on a pair. Obviously, you're not going to be able, to, you know, as a group, we're not going to be able to break them down quite as as efficiently, I guess, as as we would normally having ten guys uh, kind of bust the lane open. Uh, with all the surface that we use, um, you know, like you said, you kind of touched on it. The the scoring pace initially looks a little bit higher, but I'm not so sure that I'm not I'm not really seeing a whole lot of scores come out of the team event. I'm seeing a lot of the scores are coming out of the uh, the South Point Bowling Center, which is where singles and doubles are, which has a lot more built-in friction than the upstairs plaza, um, being an older older install. And so I'm not so sure that that's just what's causing the scores. I, I think the patterns are going to be very similar to the way that they've been the last couple of years. The, the team event's probably going to be something in the 37, 38-foot range and, and fairly flat. And then the singles and doubles is probably going to be that 41, 42, maybe 43-foot range where, you know, you start to the right and just kind of migrate in as, as the pattern breaks down. And, you know, there's just more friction in the bowling center. So they just naturally will be a little bit easier. Matt, I feel with the tournament being a little bit condensed this year, there's always a, a time when you're out, you're watching online, or you're looking online, and you're seeing, wow, there's this guy's out there, that guy's out there. There's always uh, uh, some shooters heading to Las Vegas to bowl the Open Championships this year. Uh, it seems like every day, um, and then now with allowing fans, 150 fans into the venues. That means that information is going to leak out now, or people can go and watch on their own, and uh, and that's going to create uh, you know some uh, some chances and opportunity for the folks who go a little bit later to see maybe what is working out there and what isn't working out there. Yeah, I mean, and there's always an, an overabundance of of information. You know, all the players pretty much text each other and have an idea of what's going on. You know, we you know the, you go back and tell your 
your league buddies about what you, how you how they played and what you threw and where you played. And, you know, so once you you know, as, unless you're going out the first couple of weeks, you you pretty much have a general idea of of what's going on. And and the USBC has done a pretty good job of keeping it, I think, fairly consistent over the last couple of years. So that um, you know, team has the team event pattern has played pretty much the same the last couple of years and the same thing with the minors pattern has been pretty much the same the last couple of years you know they changed maybe some volumes and some lengths a little bit but the, the general idea kind of stays the same and there's always two thoughts when it comes to you know when you head out earlier and you have buddies asking you how to bowl some people keep it vague the next person might go into <laughs> even what layouts they they use do you have a thought on that because part of me feels like Steve over there, or you guys can say, well, I threw this. You can tell me everything that you did. I still have to go out and execute as good as you guys did if you put up big numbers. So I feel like sometimes people are a little too guarded with information that, I mean, you still got you still got to execute. Just knowing what worked well and went through the pins well for you doesn't mean I'm going to roll it as well as you guys did. No doubt. Yeah, it, it, it honestly, it depends on how well we bowled, you know, if, if, uh, you know, if we didn't bowl well and, you know, and you're going to beat us, if you go, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if we bowl well, you know, I would probably not give away too much information about how we played them and, and, you know, what we did to break them down. Um, you know, I, I actually, I feel like we have a bit of a secret ourselves that we, that worked really well for us this last year that we went out that I don't think too many people do or, or know about. So, um, we're going to keep doing it and hopefully in the next couple of years it keeps working and we keep bowling well. Uh, but we have a definitely a game plan that's a little probably a little bit different than most. Well, with, without asking you to reveal any of your any of your secrets there, man, <laughs> and I, I will add kind of add add on to that. I think this was this was an interesting one, and that it didn't really come out until the end of the tournament. But there was, uh, and I forget what year it was. It was around maybe twenty. Oh, I want to say maybe eleven or or twenty eleven, twenty twelve, something like that. But one of the teams. I uh, had one down there in Baton Rouge, and I remember um, hearing and kind of finding sort of through the grapevine later that uh, they had actually used all of their practice to throw plastic balls up 15 to try and kind of create a little bit of maybe carry down or hold, whereas a lot of teams uh, traditionally have used, you know, just a ton of surface and, and try to use it to the right to create some friction. So I always thought that was interesting. I don't know if that's if that's uh very common, but I do know that one of the teams that, that ended up winning the, uh, the team event had actually used that strategy. I don't know. Have you heard of that one before? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, ultimately you're bowling on something that's flat. So you either want to create hold or create friction. And a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of teams uh, try and burn up the lane and create hook to the right. But the problem is, is there's also hook in the middle of the lane on, on something that's flat. So, um, you know, throwing the plastic, especially when it's 37 or 38 feet, there's already friction on the lane. So uh, I, I think hold trying to create hold is more beneficial. Um, you know, part of it kind of depends on, 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 you know, you, you have an idea of what lane you're on. You can kind of look at the topography report, but um, you know, mm-hmm. there's a couple of factors that would go into it, but yeah, it, it depends, kind of depends on the length of the pattern. You know, if I'm bowling on 37 or 38 feet, me personally, I'm, I want to try and figure out a way to create hold. If I'm bowling on 43 feet, I'm going to want to probably try and burn the lane up a little bit because I know there's 43 feet of oil out there and there's probably going to be a little bit of hold somewhere on the lane. Um, so it just all depends on, you know, what's going to benefit the team the most. And with us having higher rev rates, uh, any, uh, 37, 38 feet, anything that we can do to create hold uh, is probably going to benefit us. 
and Matt, you alluded to moving to uh, to the Chicagoland area, so we'll we'll go there next. So you you're taking a position with Storm, where you're going to be their regional sales team, and you're going to have that. Uh, you're going to be supporting customers in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, South and North Dakota. You're going to be covering that whole region. What um, I guess number one for someone who doesn't know what that what what that sort of person does why don't you say what someone does who's on the sales team and then um and then what 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 does that mean for you to be joining team storm uh so a regional sales manager ultimately will travel around to uh their their you know different markets their their states within their territory like you like you said and they'll visit the pro shops um in the territory um and kind of get to know their pro shop customers uh do whatever they can to basically help the pro shops be as successful as they can be um, you know, hopefully selling your products, um, you know, help them with matchmakers and, and which are, which are basically, uh, like a demo where you can kind of try the storm or Rotogrip or global 900, 900 global ball before you buy them. Um, and just anything that can help generate sales for the pro shop. Um, and then also managing the, uh, the, the regionals and amateur staff players in the territory. Um, I haven't actually gotten a chance to look and see how many I, I have in that territory, um, but I would imagine it's got to be probably uh, probably 50 to 75. So there's definitely a handful of uh, guys I'm going to have to manage and uh, make sure they're doing the right things, promoting us on and off the lanes and, um, you know, adding new potential staffers, you know, who would potentially help uh, generate sales. Um, and then also trade shows and seminars and working with distributors. Uh, Bob's business is, as I believe, the only distributor in my territory that I have to work with. Um, but yeah, just, uh, basically kind of overseeing the territory, um, anything that relates to sales, storm, roto and, and global 900. And one of the cool things, uh, you know, like you said, just one distributor, but as far as the bowling centers, I tell you what, there's, uh, you know, like in Wisconsin, for example, there's so many great smaller family owned centers, you know, it's not just only the big oh, yeah. chains. Right. I mean, there's going to be, there's just a lot of really neat people and neat opportunities. I was just thinking, uh, just a couple of our past trips that we've had to Wisconsin and, uh, you know, the, the pl- little places like the Holler House, <laughs> which was uh, the yep. oldest and just a two-lane center. Um, but there's lots of six- and eight- and ten-lane centers uh, all throughout your territory that I think are going to probably be a real treat for you to get to visit. Oh, for sure. And, and I'm, you know, I'm still a competitive bowler, too. So all the there's plenty of bowling, uh, competitive bowling that still goes on in that, that area of the country, and I'll get to bowl in a lot of those houses, I'm sure. So I'm excited for it. Yeah, it's going to be great stuff. So awesome. Well, thank you, Matt. It's been uh, been great spending some time with you today, and we're sure excited and happy to have you on our Storm team. Uh, definitely wanted to uh, be sure to mention that and um, look forward to uh, seeing you again, hopefully sometime uh, sooner than later. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys.